Oh, I can't wait to hear myself after that introduction. That is so good. <laughs> Woo! Wow, I'm even impressed that I'm here. <laughs> oh, I say that with all humility. Actually, this morning, you know, I was sitting in the hotel room and, and retired isn't, I know what people mean by that, but if I was retired, I wouldn't be here right now. You know that, okay? But uh, I still do teach at our church. I am the administrator of our Bible Institute, and I do some other things. So I'm, I'm still involved in the ministry quite a bit. I'm preaching here this weekend. I'll be in Springfield, Massachusetts next weekend. I'll be back in Atlanta the following weekend. So there's a lot of places that I get around. But my point is this. I was sitting there and thinking, what a privilege it is to preach. What, it is, what a privilege it is to be asked to go someplace and represent God, represent the word of God, and to have the confidence of a pastor and, and his people that you'd sit there, and hopefully you will for a few minutes anyway, a half hour or so, sit there and listen to what I have to say. What do I have to say in and of myself that is worth anything? Really nothing. What I do have to say, though, is what God says in his word, and I'll craft some of these things in my own words, but I always will go back to scripture. I, always, I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of preferences in my life, but the scripture is what the truth is all about. My ideas and my opinions and my preferences are mine, and they are, quite, they are quite flawed, I might add to you. But when I go to the scripture, I'm looking into the word of God, and it is a privilege to stand anywhere, to read it, to uh, memorize it, to uh, speak it, to declare it on the behalf of the Lord. So I'm honored, Pastor, to be here. Thank you. And I've been looking forward, if you've been looking forward to me coming here, I've been looking forward to being here as much, if not more. So um, I, have, I, I have met some of your people at a camp, October of 2016. We were at Windshape, and we had a couples retreat there, and I was the speaker for that. So surely some of you were at that retreat and uh, enjoyed being there. What a beautiful place it was. So I do know some of you, or some of you know me. Of course, I've known your pastor. I think I knew you before you were married. I think I, that I did. Going way back with Pastor Ripley, I was—I um, preached for Pastor Ripley when he was in Decatur when he pastored Molten Heights Baptist Church, which was a significant period of time before the new uh, property was purchased and the buildings were built and all of that. So uh, I've been at First Bible Baptist Church for 45 years now, senior pastor for 33 of those years, and I certainly enjoy the ministry. I'm married. Uh, my wife, her name is Penny. We have been married for 50 years in about three months or two months. We celebrated our 50th anniversary. Thank you. Unfortunately, she's not here. She's the one that deserves the applause, not me. But anyway, that <laughs> she stayed with me that long. So anyway, um, but we in January, we were married 50 years. And some people are looking at me and you say, where are you from? I'm from Rochester, New York, upstate New York. And you say, well, where did you get your tan? Well, I didn't get it in Rochester, New York. <laughs> My wife and I, we gave ourselves a 50th anniversary trip to Southern California. And we spent two weeks there. And I just got back last Tuesday. So the tan is fading fast. I want you to know that. We are up to 100 inches of snow in Rochester, New York right now. And we'll probably oh, go 115 or 120. We, winter is not over for us yet. 
So, but I, again, I'm glad to be here. Five children, three boys, two girls, 13 grandchildren, five boys, eight girls, and it tells you a little bit about who I am. And again, it is an honor and a privilege to be here to speak to you. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, if you would. This is, um, I've kind of pieced together some thoughts for the message this morning. Um, I've actually, what I'm going to say, I've done in a series of messages, but I'm going to give you what I believe the main point or points of that series are all about this morning. I have one opportunity to share with you, and I hope that this will be meaningful and helpful to you. It certainly is intended to, to be that way. So, Father, I am coming this morning, and I am honored to represent you, your word, this pastor, to be here with this church, this uh, body of fellow believers, and I pray that you will bless our time. Uh, not only you have this morning already, thank you for the worship time, and then this week, the discipleship conference, Lord, that people will be granted safe travel, and Lord, that the 100-plus guests that will be here, Lord, that they will be able to take something home that will make us all better Christians, more productive, more efficient, more effective, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. I just want to kind of look through the chapter for a moment. We're going to uh, end uh, uh, my introduction at the end of that chapter. But if you'll notice, chapter number 12 is all about spiritual gifts. And uh, there's a discussion of them. And of course, there's some controversy about spiritual gifts, apostolic gifts, charismatic gifts, things like that. But my intent is not to get into that. I just want you to see that this is an important topic in the Word of God. And the Bible says in verse number 7 of that chapter that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man, and he's speaking to Christians, to profit with all. So the first thing I want to say is that if you're a Christian, God has gifted you in very, very special ways to be involved in the ministry. I heard your pastor say, every member a minister. That's because every member has been gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to be involved in the ministry. So you need to know that. If you're not, you may be in some measure of rebellion against the Lord in your own life. If you want to go to verse 13, it says, for by one spirit... We all baptized into one body. So one of the main themes of this chapter is the unity of the body, the oneness of the body of Christ. Not just the universal body, if I can use that term, but the body, the local church body. If the universal body of Christ should be, have a, a spirit of unity, surely, uh, surely when we get into a church of any size, there ought to be a spirit of unity among the body of believers. Then verse 18 says, lest we get envious or jealous of someone else, it says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Sometimes we look at other people and we wish we had their job or we had their ministry or we had uh, their audience, whatever it might be, and we become envious and jealous of other people. The fact of the matter is your life isn't over yet and you may be doing a lot of other things before you go home to be with the Lord in heaven, but right now you're in training. Every day is training. Every day is training. I'm training today. I'm 71 years old and I'm training. I'm training for tomorrow. What am I going to be tomorrow? 
What am I going to do tomorrow? I don't know if you've looked at your life that way, but sometimes, you know, particularly when we're young, we think, oh, you know, I'm going to live forever, man. I'm only 25 years old, you know. We don't think of death, of dying, of termination and things like that when we're young. As we get a little older, I didn't really start thinking of it that way until I turned about 60 years of age. When I turned 70, I looked in the mirror and I said, George, you're old. You're old. I finally had to admit it to myself. Now, I know I was long before then, but it took a long time for me to admit it to myself. So I stand before you as an ancient, uh, an ancient pastor, as an ancient Christian. But that's okay. And God has put me in the ministry as it pleased him. So the things I've had the privilege of doing, and even standing here this morning, I didn't call your pastor and say, you know, I really need something to do on Sunday morning. You know, I don't have anything to do. Can I come down and preach for you? I'll pay you. I'll pay you if you let me. Now, I've done that before, and he wouldn't let me come. But this, <laughs> but this time, this time, he asked me to come, and I'm honored, as I said. Notice in verse 26, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Again, the, the unity of the body is exemplified, and it's, it, it is um, showcased, if you please, in this chapter. Then at the end, very end, last verse, it says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, you know what that excellent way is. Because the chapter that follows may be the most favorite chapter of many people in all of the Bible. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. That's a lot. But for many people, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 may be the chapter that is their favorite. It's the famous love chapter. Now, the King James translators chose to use the word charity. Now, this is my opinion, okay? I'm giving you my opinion, and there's some truth to it. I don't know it's the whole truth, but um, my opinion is this. Uh, the word, Greek word, agape, is translated love, and it's also translated charity. So why did the King James translators choose charity in this particular passage, chapter, and in some other passages also in the New Testament? The reason is this, I think. When we're talking about love, God to man, King James translators use the word love. When we're talking about the word love, man to God, the King James translators used the word love. But when they were talking about love to one another, horizontal, man to man, particularly in this chapter, and then about 25 to 30 times in the New Testament, they use the word charity because it's specifically talking about our relationships with one another, how we deal with people, how we deal with one another. So when you read through, if you have that in your mind and you read through chapter number 13, keep that in mind and you'll see that this is talking about us. This is talking about how we deal with one another. Now, I want to take you to the end of chapter 13. We're kind of, we've covered a lot of ground here, aren't we? And have we said anything yet? I don't know. But we're covering a lot of ground. Where are we going? I don't know, but we're getting there fast, okay? Verse 13, it says, And now abideth, after this whole discussion of charity, love one for another, it says, Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Why is that? 
Now remember, this was spoken under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. This isn't, now I said I have opinions and I have preferences, but this isn't my opinion and this isn't my preference. This is what God says. God says that there's three that abideth. Of all the gifts that are mentioned here in chapter 12 and referenced in chapter 13, he says there's three things that are really, really important. Faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is how we deal with one another. Charity, how we deal with one another. Now, I believe that those three things represent three uh, seasons or components of time. Let me, let me use that. Components of time. Faith speaks of history, our past. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I believe, or my faith today is predicated or built on the word of God and what I've, not what I'm going to read tomorrow, but what I have read since I got saved in 1972. All of the sermons that I have heard, all of the sermons that I have preached myself, all of the hours of studying, I believe that I've preached at least 8,000 times since I got saved. Could be 10,000. But I've learned something. Not many of those sermons have been preached again. They're not repeats, you know. Very few of my sermons are worth repeating, I guess is what it is. Anyway, but so 8,000 to 10,000 times I've had the privilege of preaching the Word of God. Well, I had to study and prepare myself to do that. So I, my faith today is built or predicated on my Christian, my whole Christian experience from the past. Do you get that? Past. All right. Hope. What are we talking about when we talk about hope? We're talking about future. We're hoping, not as the world hopes, but we're hoping and we're looking for the blessed hope, the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is our greatest hope, the hope of the resurrection. If the resurrection isn't real, if the resurrection isn't true, Paul said, you know what? We of all people, 1 Corinthians 15, we're of all people most miserable. So the thing that we look forward to, although we may not be conscious of it all the time, we're not walking around with it on our mind, really in the back of our mind as Christians, we know that there is something great beyond this life. And that is a great hope. And the greatest hope is when Jesus breaks the skies when he comes back and takes the church at the rapture, when he comes back, Revelation 19, at the second coming of Christ. Those are the things that we are eschatologically, that's future things, we're looking forward to. So faith deals with the past, how I got where I am today and what I believe. Hope, after reading the scriptures and all of the things that I've been experienced to, subjected to in my Christian life, the things that I've read, the messages I've heard, the Bible verses, the passages, teaching the Bible, teaching 1 Corinthians chapter 15, teaching the book of Revelation, teaching prophecy throughout the New and Old Testament. I have a great hope. I truly believe that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Now, honestly, the church doesn't emphasize that as much today, in my mind, as we did 40 years ago. 
And I think there's people that have come along and they've set dates. You know, the rapture's going to take place in June of 1993. It didn't take place. Oh, the ra I was wrong. It's going to take place in July of 1994. It didn't take place. And it didn't take place. And these people, they get headlines in the newspaper, don't they? And it doesn't happen. And when it doesn't happen, your non-Christian friends go, tisk, tisk, tisk. You Christians are nuts. I thought Jesus was coming. He's, you know what that's done? It's caused us to be a little bit quiet about the second coming of Christ. But I'm telling you this, that is the hope. Amen. That is the thing that encourages us or should encourage us more than anything. Faith is who I am right now when it comes to what I believe. Hope is built on what I've learned for the future. But the greatest of these things isn't faith. The greatest of these things isn't hope. The greatest of these things, these three things, according to the scripture, not my preference or my opinion, it says, and now abideth, faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, let me tell you why that's the most important. You've already figured it out. But in case you've been sleeping for the first part of this sermon, I'm going to bring you up to date. Faith is history. Hope is future. Charity is today. That's what really matters right now. Who are you? Right now. Right now. We say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to get my act together someday, and I'm going to do right, and blah, 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 blah. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think we all ought to do that if we're not doing it right now. But what about right now? Well, I'll tell you, Pastor, I remember back when, no, you know, no, we used to do this, and we did that, and boy, those were the glory days of Christianity. <laughs> I love telling stories. But those days are gone. What are you doing today? Who are you today? And specifically, who are you in relationship with the guy or girl that's sitting next to you in church? That's probably an important person. We don't go to church and sit next to unimportant people, usually, all right? We usually, we look around for somebody to sit with. We're comfortable with our friends. Now, I'm looking around, and a few of you are kind of moving away from each other. I see that. <laughs> I understand. And that happens. When you get this many people in an auditorium, sometimes you don't get the seat you want to sit in. I understand. And you have to sit next to some nerd or jerk. I understand that. So, of course, none in here today, but they were here last week. Remember those people that were here last week? Those were the people we don't want to sit next to. Anyway. How are you treating the people in your home? Gentlemen, how about your wife? Do you treat her lovingly or more specifically, charitably? How about your friends, young people, teenagers, young adults? How do you treat people? Are you a bully? Are you sarcastic? Are you always humiliating other people? making fun of them, trying to elevate yourself at the expense of other people, calling people names and talking behind people's back and all that. Is that who you are? 
Is that who you are? You're a Christian. The greatest of these is charity. Now, if you'd like to know what that is, actually, the Bible tells us what it is. So, if you take a moment, go back to chapter 13, and we'll spend the next few moments of our time maybe talking about specifically what the Bible says here. By the way, the Bible says that charity is the more excellent way, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, that knowledge puffeth up. It's important to have knowledge, but it puffeth up. But it's charity that builds, that edifies. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, let all your things be done with charity. Every time we interact with other people, our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our parents, our children, our pastor, our church members, our fellowship here, let everything be done with charity. We'll describe what that is. Because Colossians chapter 3 says it is the bond of perfectness. It is the glue that keeps the body stuck together. You understand that? By this shall all men know that you are my disciple. Discipleship. That you have love one for another. Now the King James uses the word love there, but we understand that it's love for people. Love for people. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple. That's the one thing, the only thing in all of the Bible, in all of Scripture, it says this is how lost people can know that you're truly a Christian. It's not because you tithe. It's not because you went to church on Sunday. It's not because you don't cuss and swear. It's not because you try to be honest in everything you do. Although I certainly recommend that you do all those things. But lost people don't look at those things. Oh, there's a real Christian over there. This is how a lost person recognizes a real Christian. By love for the brethren. You say, well, who said that? Jesus? <laughs> is he important to you at all? He is the authority. He is authority. That's what Jesus said. Again, this isn't my preference, my, my opinion. I'm telling you what God says. The way lost people recognize true Christianity is through the relationships that Christians have with one another. We were talking just before this in Sunday school about how do we reach lost people? And it's, it's a great question. We really had a great discussion in the Sunday school class. But I can tell you this. If your church is known as being divisive, upset with one another, griping and moaning and complaining all the time about the pastor, about the deacons, about each other, about the Sunday school teacher, about what this they and they win, and I don't know why they do that, and I would never have it. People out there hear that? They don't want to have anything to do with you. We all have enough problems. I'm not going to that church and absorb theirs also. You understand that? I think some people go to church. And maybe this isn't the best motive, but I think some people go to church just to find a place of respite, peace, from a world out there that is just upset with everything. And you come to church, whether you listen or not, you just feel like, ah, I can relax here. No one's going to attack me. No one's going to slander me. No one's going to maybe even ask me to do anything. I can just relax here. If that's why you're here and you don't have any 
relaxation in life. I think that's probably a good reason to be here. There's better reasons. But if you can't even experience that in church, if you can't experience that, lost people will figure that out the first time they show up, and they're out of here. They're out of here. And if you're like that all the time, just as a, her, a person, you're always complaining and griping and moaning. I don't, I'm not talking about in church, outside of church, at work, in the neighborhood, on the ball field, wherever it is, at school. You're always griping and moaning and complaining. When you start witnessing to them, you have no credibility whatsoever. They don't want your Christianity. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple, that you have love one for another. Now, let me get to the point here, all right? Let's talk about what 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 says. You can see it there. Go to chapter 13. Look with me, if you would, for a moment. The Bible, the Bible tells us that charity is excellent. It says that charity is essential. It says that it's enduring. It says that it eradicates certain things, that it's exemplary, and that it's eternal. But I want to get down to the nitty-gritty of the specific statements that are made about it, starting in verse number 4, 13 verse 4. It says there that charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity, remember who we're talking about? We're talking about us, not your uncle that lives in Minnesota. Boy, I sure wish my uncle was here today. He really needs this message. No, you need it. I need it. I need it. I need it. I live with a woman, lived with her for 50 years. God bless her. She deserves a Purple Heart, the Congressional Medal of Honor, and a Distinguished Flying Cross. She should get them all for living with me. I understand that. Charity suffers long. She suffered a lot. And is kind. Envieth not, vaunteth not itself. That's arrogance, is not puffed up. But let me take these one at a time. Let me just walk you through each one of them. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. I have a little wristband I wear. It says, love God, love people, serve others, and tell everyone. This is my life mission. Say, so what do you wear that for? I wear it to remind me every single day that's why I'm here. Why am I here? Am I here to watch basketball games on TV? Am I here to go on vacation to Southern California? What am I here for? Am I here to raise children or enjoy my grandchildren? I mean, those are good things to do. But is it the purpose of life? No. The purpose of life and my mission is to love God, love people, to serve others, and to tell everyone. So I wear this every day because I have to look at it. And when I'm getting out of order and out of sorts, and when I'm getting sarcastic or short-tempered with my wife or my children or my neighbors or anybody, this thing keeps red, really pops out. You know what I mean? I look at that and go, shut up, George. Remember who you're representing here on this earth. You're representing Jesus, and you should not violate 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because charity suffers long. That means it is patient. It enables us to endure difficult people and troubling situations. How you doing? That's just the first one. I get an F. I already got an F on this test. How about you? Can you endure difficult people? 
or do you have to run away from them or go someplace and talk about them behind their back? Charity is kind. It prompts us, even when we are treated unkindly, to respond with tenderness, sensitivity, and the care of Jesus Christ himself. You say, everybody, anybody? Yeah, even your family members. I know those are the most difficult people to get along with, but even your family members, even the people that are closest to you, sometimes we take liberties with those people. We feel we can say things and do things that we wouldn't do in public or at work or at church or with anybody else, but we scream and yell and criticize at home when we would never do that in any other group of people. We use language, terminology, words that we would never direct towards any other human being, but we direct them toward our spouse, our children, people who are close to us. Charity envieth not. When we look at others who are more successful, gifted, or talented, or wealthier, charity guards our hearts, stifling the urge to envy. Charity enables me to be content with what I have rather than to be dissatisfied with what I don't have. Yes, the glass is half full, and I'm thankful there's something in the glass. Charity vaunteth not itself, verse 4. It doesn't brag or boast, since everything is a gift of God, Life, everything is a gift of God. It makes no sense to brag on myself. I should be bragging about God. That's who I brag about. I don't brag about George. What does George do? What did George do? What a mess George has made out of his life and maybe some other people's lives. Charity is not puffed up, verse 4. It's not proud. Human pride is divinely degrading. It says, I don't need God. I'm important without God. Charity is how we deal with one another. It's who and how you are right now. Every day is a test, people. Today is a test. Who are you sitting in that seat right now? Are you charitable? Who am I standing in a pulpit, standing before a group of people like this? Oh, that Pastor Grace, he probably thinks he's really special and important. No. I'm an abject failure. I'm a sinner. I need every word in this as much as anybody in this room. I need this little wristband every day of my life. You won't find me many days when I don't have one, and the only time you will is when I gave it away to somebody else. And I do. This is my evangelism tool. I've given away 3,500 of these to people. It's an opportunity for me to talk to them about Jesus. I say, you see this? Do you know what it is? They don't know what it is. I know they don't. So I'm asking a question that they're going to say no. I say, would you like to know what it is? They're not going to say, no, I don't care what you think. They don't do that to me. They say, no, yeah, tell me. Good. It says, love God, love people, serve others, tell everyone. Can I explain that to you? I've got them now. The hook is in. Now I can tell them what it means to love God, love people, serve others. Now some conversations are very brief and very short. Some people don't want to hear about it. Some conversations really open up to become a 10-minute conversation of sharing Christ with people. These are people that I don't even really know. How do you start a conversation with somebody you don't know? I can sit in a restaurant. You know, 
every waitress wants to get a big tip, don't they? So I sit there and I say, ma'am, see this, do you know what it is? And of course, she's being real kind. She says, no, I don't. Would you like to know? Of course, she's got to say yes. She wants a big tip. She says yes. I said, well, then I explain what it says. And sometimes I don't ask them. I said, let me, let me explain to you what it means to love God and to love people. And before you know it, in three or four minutes, I've got a gospel witness in. Some people pass out tracts. It's effective in some ways. This is how I get people's attention with a little wristband. But it also serves as a reminder to me every day that I need to represent Jesus Christ. This is my mission in life. My mission isn't to exalt myself. My mission is to exalt Jesus. Let me finish through this list. This is painful. It is painful because we need to take a good long look at ourselves. Charity's not puffed up. Charity does not behave itself unseemly. That means it's not rude. It doesn't interfere. It doesn't insult other people. It doesn't step on other people's feelings. Charity seeketh not her own. It's not self-seeking. It's in an age today when people are so self-centered, it stands against the tide, putting concern for other people ahead of itself. Charity's not easily provoked. It's not easy and angered. It doesn't get upset quickly. Some of us have a fuse that's that long. Something goes wrong and boom, we explode. And we claim to be Christians. It's not charity, particularly with other people. Thinketh no evil. It always thinks and wants to believe the best about others. Does that describe you? <laughs> right. It always thinks the best and wants to think the best about others. It gives other people the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't say, yeah, you know, I know those people. I think, I think I know what they're up to. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then we expound. We come up with this fictitious story of what we think they are, what they're going to do, that's not based on any facts at all. All it's based on is my own personal pride and my hatred for that individual. That's what it's based on. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. It does not delight in evil. It finds no joy or satisfaction in wickedness. Charity rejoices in the truth. It is genuinely pleased when truth and righteousness prevail. It bears all things. It puts up with a lot. It guards and protects that which is good. It believes all things. It gives the benefit of the doubt to other people. It's very trusting. Maybe beyond what is even reasonable sometimes. Charity is loyal. It's loyalty to your friends, to your family members, to your church. Charity hopeth all things. It looks positively to the future. It looks to the promises of God. It endures all things in verse 7. When everything else is exhausted, charity remains. It never gives up. Charity never fails, verse 8 number, uh, says. Charity never fails. You can never be wrong being charitable. Never wrong. It never fails. Now, you might not get the desired results all the time, but you're being the right person. And you're doing what you're supposed to do. Charity. The reason why charity is the most important thing is because it is who you are right now, today. When you stand, you walk down this aisle and walk out the door. Who are you? 
Who are you? You may not be being honest with yourself. But other people may know who you are better than you are willing to admit. It may have an awful lot to do with your relationships. Charitableness, kindness, humility goes a long way in relationships, a long way. You will have more friends than anybody else just because you treat people truly with charity, with humility. You put other people first. Every day is a test. Maybe yesterday you got an F. Maybe it, by 10 o'clock this morning you got an F minus. Things weren't going really well before you came to church. But where are you right now? You know what I did? I want to leave you with something, and it's up to you. I don't know how I have enough for everyone here, but I have enough, I think, for the people who would want one. I got about 100 of these with me right now. I'm just going to lay them out here. Are you struggling with some of these things? Do yourself a favor. Get yourself a little wristband and put, I know it's corny. I thought of that, too, when I first put it on. But boy, has it helped transform my life. It reminds me when I'm not thinking about who I'm supposed to be in Christ, I look at that and go, whoops, okay, okay. Time to make an attitude adjustment here with these people. Be humble, be kind, be helpful, and honor other people. And having a have a listening ear to other people. And show some genuine love by being compassionate to other people. Compassion. Last time I'll ask you. Who are you right now? Faith has brought me to where I am today. Hope is yet in the future. But charity is the most important thing. Who are you right now? Bow with me in a word of prayer. Would you do that? Now, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of charity and how we deal with one another. This is so important to us individually, corporately, collectively, as a church. Just spread them all. This is so important to the body of Christ. This is so important to our evangelistic efforts. This is so important to discipleship to truly have love and compassion and care for one another, that we will extend ourselves beyond ourselves, beyond the normal willingness to give as a human, which doesn't go very far, and to go beyond and show true charitableness towards other people, towards one another. So, Father, I'm going to ask this morning if we take a moment to examine ourselves, and we are encouraged to do that, to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith, that we will do just that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.